Hello, ski-obsessed listeners out there. This is Tom Gelly from the Global Skiing Podcast. I welcome you back to another episode. Uh, this week, I had a really interesting conversation with Harold Harb. And uh, really interesting because we got into some topics that are very, very interesting to me and uh, gave me a lot of insight and kind of, I guess, um, opened my mind to some reasons as to why boots setup was probably hindering some of the areas of my own skiing. Um, Harold was really gracious with his time and I really appreciate him uh, chatting with me for almost over an hour and a half. It's a long episode so you might need to uh, pause and break uh, in between and um, listen in, in, in two goes. But I think you'll really enjoy it and um, I got kind of selfish and definitely asked some questions very much related to me and um, that I wanted to find out. But I think uh, hopefully that if I'm really interested, then you guys will all be interested too. Um, we get, get into topics such as cuff alignment, uh, World Cup ski races and their ill-fitting Ill -fitting boot problems and Harold sort of uh being aware of you know what it looks like how to pick out when it is a boot setup equipment problem versus an actual technical problem coming from the person's uh skiing technique um he is a wealth of knowledge he's been around for a long time um really experienced lovely guy and uh yeah i hope you guys really enjoy this episode um, I'd encourage you to go grab your ski boots and just maybe try a couple of things we talk about just to see yourself what's going on um, because once you start realizing this, uh, I'd say you'll want to go out and get your boots and footbeds and everything checked um, so that hopefully you can get the most out of your skiing. Anyway, without further ado, uh, this is the interview with Harold Harb domain down there <laughs> okay okay <laughs> excellent well um look i'm gonna start recording and just uh get into the chat i sent you an email with some of the questions were there any uh things i guess you wanted to also bring up or chat about you think it'd be interesting for people to hear or um we'd get you know, into some I, of the I, good stuff with the questions i've got i i really I'm really like open to what you want to get out of it. I mean, I don't want to necessarily have to, if, unless you want that kind of stuff, uh, background and, uh, you know, my own experience uh, as a skier. I know you had some questions on there and, and how I evolved and how I got to where I am, which is, you know, very nice and all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't know if, if, if that's your audience or who you're, uh, you're going to present this to is that interested in that. But, I mean, yeah. obviously there would be some pertinent things that would be, you know, kind of up substantial, yeah to, yeah, to back up what I do. But uh, yeah. other than that, I mean, I could go on forever is what I'm saying, <laughs> and I don't want to take up your time. Well, I've I've got time right now, so we'll just see where it, we'll just see where it goes. And can you cut and edit? Can you yep. can you do that? Yep, I can. Oh, so. good. Well, then I can ramble a little bit. Right? Exactly, exactly. If you go too okay, far right. off, we can we can just because I've done a lot of this kind of stuff. As you know, we produce our own videos and we do go to the studio and we do all that stuff. And yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So no, we can we can do some stuff afterwards. So um, 
Yeah, uh, I guess the f- the first one. It's good to always start, and I don't know too much about your your background, but can you tell me like how did you get into the skiing game? Where did it where did it begin with you? Uh, it's it kind of I inherited some of it. My father, I was born in Austria. My father's Austrian. My mother's Austrian. We're from near Innsbruck, a town called Schwarz, okay. and. Uh, he uh, he was a mountaineer uh, climber, pioneer climber, climbed with Herman Buhl, and I don't know, you sort of have to be into climbing to know who Herman Buhl is, but he was the first uh, climber who climbed solo up 8,000 meter cl- uh, mountain without okay. oxygen on Nanga Barbat, which is in the 50s, and that was uh, quite a feat, so my dad was involved at, at that level in Austria. And he was also one of the first certified Austrian ski instructors. And before Austria had a national certification, he was Tyrolean certified. So there's a history of skiing, obviously, there and mountaineering and being in the mountains. So that's where it all came from. But I started skiing at three years old with my family. We skied, like, whenever we could in the winter. We we just never skipped a day if we could. Did you race? Oh yeah, I was on a uh, number of provincial teams in Canada, Alberta and Quebec, and then on the national team for two years. Okay. And race, race World Cup, and and also uh, Europa Cup, at the, and Norams, that kind of thing. Awesome. Do Do you remember having like a kind of a favorite coach or a coach you would say really, you know, helped you improve or really impressed upon you some fundamentals? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's good. No, it's really it's really too bad. I mean, I had a lot of great coaches as far as their friends, and and they they were great guys and encouraging. And probably if I was going to pick a coach, um, it would have to be based on how encouraging he was and supportive he was, and that encouraged me to keep keep working and and evolve my yeah. skiing and. It was kind of more or less in those days. You know, I I grew up racing in the in the late sixties and early seventies, and it was more or less. Well, that was a good run, or do that again, or don't do that. Or so. it was, there was very little technical knowledge by the coaches, and you know they said maybe uh, you know stay on the ground or do uh, you know kind of real broad based widespread kind of advice. Yeah, and and you try to figure out what that meant yes. and apply it. Cool. But so, it really wasn't directly uh, a movement. Nothing to do with movement, and and there's an interesting side story that goes with that. Um, I, I've been in touch with a number of my teammates over the years, and uh, we went to a, a 50th anniversary that the Canadian ski team had a reunion, and uh, one of my closest rivals said. To me, I, I always thought you were like the best technical skier of, of all the skiers that we had, which is was surprising to me because I never got that sense from the coaches or anybody else. Uh-huh. But I guess it was something that the racers, some of my teammates thought. And they could so, see in your skiing. Yeah, which yeah. is kind of interesting, you know, after 30-some-odd years <laughs> not seeing the guys. Yeah, yeah, that's what they had to say. So did it really instill within you like more of a an ability or a drive 
to find out within yourself what you needed to do rather than relying on other people. You had to figure it out. You had to try something and, and reflect yes. on it yourself. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely right. I, I, I evolved, what I evolved in my own methodology and my way is, I remember very early on, even before I started racing, I hated the feeling, and this is nothing that I developed, it was built in. The feeling that I hated a, the ski, the back of the ski to move away from me. Yeah. I just, I could not reconcile, even if it was really icy, I just had this feeling when I could sense it right away when the edge yeah. wasn't holding, the back of the ski would go away. And I think through that sensation, my reaction was to find a way to put the body in place so that it would stop doing that. Yeah. So that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg of how some people might evolve their own technique rather than depending on a coach. Yes. They yeah. sense a certain thing and then they work their bodies into a place where that thing goes away and they're looking for the thing that they feel better with. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but I think that for kids, uh, that's maybe very powerful. Definitely. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I can totally relate to it because, I mean, I, I actually came from a telemark skiing background first and that sensation you're talking about of the tail slipping yeah. is so much more evident on telemark skis if you don't stand in the right place, make the right movements and you're already at a disadvantage with the tele position because your hips are, are rotated more into the turn. Yeah. So you have to yep. actively really work to find that grip along the whole ski. And so uh, there weren't many people. I mean, I don't know if you see it. A lot of telemarkers out there, unless they're a race, World Cup racer, are just skidding all over the place, um, yes. you know, with no idea of, stand, you know, like really using the ski and carving the ski. And so, yeah, I can really relate to that. My um, and, yeah. One of our coaches, uh, one of our PMTS coaches who's certified, uh, you know, through three levels, uh, is a PSIA, uh, you know, U.S. professional skier, a tele-examiner. Mm -hmm. And he was just here for a week with the national demonstration team. And I was on the hill with them uh, for a couple of days and I was watching them. And he was carving a tele-ski Whereas I was watching the rest of the guys and they were slipping a tele ski. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, the thing about he, he learned alpine skiing through PMTS, evolved it, and he's one of our best coaches. And he now applied PMTS to tele skiing. And as you know, when you pull your foot back in tele skiing and your knee goes forward and you, you, you actually, the, the conflict is the hip wants to come around with that yeah, movement. Exactly. And and it's hard to hold a countered hip, which gives you the edge and makes gives you the ability to create higher angles. Because with yeah. counteracting, you can let your hip drop inside. Exactly. Without it, you can't. You end up on yeah. your inside foot, and exactly. you're supporting your weight on your inside foot. Yeah. So I've coached him in his tele skiing just through PMTS, and he's evolved it. But one of the biggest things that helped him is we kept uh, pushing him to do the canting or the alignment with his yeah. telly boots yeah. because he was he was under edged yeah. his knees were in and so no matter what he did technically he couldn't achieve what he was trying to do until we yeah. got his boot and with telly boots you can't put the plates no. and, and shave them yeah so we ended up having to do the canting under the bindings 
And, you know, and that's a long process because you go a couple of degrees here, a couple of degrees there, and you go back and forth. Yeah. So, yeah, it evolved to the point now where he is, he to me, if, when I watch him from a technical standpoint, technical standpoint, skiing down the hill, he's the finest of the, of the group that I saw there. Who is that? His name is Walter Edberg, and he, he works out of Alpine Meadows in California. Cool. And he cool. comes to uh, at least uh, eight of our camps. He coaches at least eight camps for us. Yep. Travels back here in, Aust- in Austria also. Now, I should say, uh, I just realized, uh, right now is probably a good adjunct to say what PMTS is your your training system for those people because you sort of said he's been doing PMTS. So for those people that don't know, can you give us a an outline yeah. of, of that? It is. It, it, you know, it, it is PMTS are the letters for the words that uh, describe the system, and it's called Primary Movements Teaching System. And the reason it evolved out of that name was because primary is the first in the order of. And so we saw right from the beginning, and, and I was always schooled by my father about skiing is about your feet, and you do your skiing with your feet and your ankles, and the rest of your body is supportive. And so we, our system is based on the kinetic chain and the, and the alignment that goes with the base of the kinetic chain, which is right the bottom, starting at, at the bottom of your feet, your ankles, and then going higher up the body. Because when you move and can adjust your skiing from the ankle and the foot, then you don't have to make such big movements higher up to make adjustments. If those parts are locked out of your movement capabilities, then you end up making bigger movements, which put you further out of balance, and then you have to make bigger adjustments. And that's the basis for our teaching system. And the kinetic chain is very important in how to co- use co-contraction of the muscles so that you're creating balance at the joint, at each joint specifically, especially at the base, so the ankles, the muscles around the ankle joint and the foot, which move mm-hmm. it in, in or out, which is inversion or eversion. Yep. So uh, that's when the, that's when you start to 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 get involved with the system. We require our instructors to go through training of the of not only the anatomy and the muscles, and, but also the biomechanics about how they function. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, so it's a very uh, uh, complete system from a training standpoint. It's more involved than any of the national systems that I've been involved with, and. You know, I've been involved with two systems at the highest level. Once one is the USSA coaching uh, coaches association. I was a master coach, which is the highest level, and also in US uh, PSIA, which is you know, the mm-hmm. demo team, and, and uh, of course uh, the examiner and, and uh, trainer for them. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I and and you know, having traveled and worked with the demo team and, and been to inner ski and so on, uh, I know a lot of the international skiers from the other teams and and know a little bit about maybe not everything but try to keep up with everything that yeah. they're doing so how and long did it, how long did it I take you develop your like like so talking about the evolution of your system it's obviously been over a long period of time you've kind of yeah like worked yeah. on writing things down getting like a a process of delivering that and training people and how, how long has that been going on for well, I, I wrote when I when I came out of racing, I was already using some of the methods that I evolved into the teaching system, and the 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 teaching system is really based in ski racing movements. And in my view, 
the top ski racers have the most refined movements, the most efficient movements, but they do it at such a high level with such high forces and strength and power that it's hard to relate to for, for a low-level skier or a beginner skier or intermediate skier. So basically what I did was reverse engineer what they do and and step-by-step step bring it back to the beginner skier in a way that they can access the world-class movement of, mm -hmm. of the top skiers in the world. Now, when I do the same for national teaching systems, regardless of country, it doesn't really matter. You know, in my view, the biomechanics of all the countries that teach skiing are exactly the same. If yep. you start with a wedge and start steering the ski with a, from a wedge turn and go to a wedge Christie and then try to create a parallel turn out of that, you can put little different names and labels on it. And you can be from Austria or you can be from Japan or you can be from the U.S. It's all the same biomechanics for the body to deal with. And that's what these countries don't understand. They don't understand that they're teaching the same thing because the biomechanics of it haven't changed, even if you've changed the names mm -hmm. of the way you approach these different things. Our system is the only system in the world that is currently operational that is completely different from that. Ours is a direct parallel system that uses different biomechanics, different body parts, different movements from the beginning. So it's, it's almost diametrically opposed from the all the national systems that are out there. Mm -hmm. Cool. So um, now as part of that training do people do your boot fitting course as well is that an option or is that a that's a like that's part of it well the, there's a, a tale or a story that goes along with that when when we started when i started with the, my own business and started camps the first thing that we noticed was people were, were showing up with equipment that was not worthwhile teaching them on yeah yeah because it was so restrictive that it was just such a horrible chore to teach them anything because they weren't balanced. They couldn't balance in the equipment they had. And there were alignment was out of sorts that we, we couldn't really help them. It was all adaptive, adaptive scheme or adaptive movements. So mm -hmm. we got into the ski shop and alignment business, which I had done prior to, to becoming, to starting my camps. I'd done it with racers and I've done it in ski schools. So I've, and, and I've done it at the, in Aspen and in Telluride, our major ski, some of our major resorts. Uh, so I'd had a lot of experience with alignment and footbeds and, and uh, getting people set up correctly and, and put them in the right boots as well. So when we started our, our, our camps, we didn't want a ski shop. We, you know, we, we wanted to teach people how to ski, but we found out very quickly that this was not going to work because every time you sent a skier out to get a pair of boots that was better than the ones they had, the ski shop people would convince them that was not what they needed, and they'd yeah. give them something else. Yeah. So we were frustrated that we've got to get the boots at work, and we, we, we've got to sell them to our customers. Yeah. So then... Just control all the steps, and then you know what you're going to get. The, yeah. there is, there's no system that anyone has in the world that does the complete thing from the beginning to the end as we do it. Yeah. We, we take people... And we put them in boots, we put them in footbeds, we put them in the right boots, the ones that fit, and we don't do the size-up fit so that you don't ever come back with pain and have, we have to fix it. We, we take the boot that is suited for your foot, 
and then we stretch the parts that are touching and then you've got the great fit that you need that, to really perform without pain and you have comfort but you have snug a snug supportive ski boot and then we do the complete alignment system that goes with it and when people come to camp and do that at the beginning of the week like we usually do pre-camp days we call them where we, people come in on Friday, Saturday or Sunday camp start they get choose a boot we do the alignment and then during the week we ski with them for five days and we get to see them for five days and all of our coaches are trained in the alignment system. So on snow, we validate everything that's going on and the coaches, we have a round table and we say, how's, how's your group doing every day? Mm-hmm. What do you see that may be a boot problem? Do we need to do some change in the, the alignment? You, and we watch their video. Each coach has input on watching the video. And so by the end of the week, not only is the skier learning movements that they can use for the rest of their life, and every time they go out, they're using movements that improve their skiing while they're skiing. So it's not yeah. a, a degenerative process. It's an encouraging, evol- evolving process in the right direction. But they've got the boots at work. So everything is, is supportive of what they're trying to do with their movements. And they're in balance. They're in the right place on the ski. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I think I, I said in the email after Riley came back from your course – we just Skyped each other just to catch up and, you know, I was obviously chewing his ear off trying to find out as much as I could and and he just, because I myself have gotten into boot fitting and playing with stuff because I found that was giving me the best results because I'm like, no, I feel it here, I need to change that and, and experiment, do something, oh, it's worse, do something, oh, that's better, that's what I need to do. Anyway, I standing in my shells and I think, if, if the listeners are here, they should pause. And if they got ski boots, they should probably go grab their ski boots right now, pull out the liner, right? You'd agree? Yes. Yep. Yes. So, so they can all do it. And they can put their ski boots on, on a flat surface, no liner, standing on the – we'll just start with a boot board. And so I stood in there and he was looking at me in, in, in my, you know, ski width stance and my shins, my lower leg was coming up out of the cuff and – I could literally fit down the fibula side or the outside edge of my leg, yeah. uh, w- w- just the end of my index finger between my calf, the outside of my calf and the shell. And I could slide all the way down to my knuckles on the other side, on the inside yes. part of the calf. On the, on the medial side, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the left boot had a lot more room on the medial side, the inside, compared to the right. And... Um, and my cuffs were pretty much maxed out, tipped out. And even my right boot has some sole canting of three degrees to tip the whole boot out. Still mm-hmm. wasn't enough. So it was like a revelation to me of like, because uh, I eyeballed it and I kind of like, oh, it looks, you know, I do look a little bit closer to the lateral, the outside edge. But it was like when I actually put my hand down there, I'm like going, wow, on this inner side, I've, I've got like, five times the distance of my leg to travel before the boot gets contacted and then therefore the ski gets pressed on the edge. Yes. And um, and so, yeah, I just re- realized I need to be way more cuff aligned. And, yeah. and, and, my, and so my question is, how do you, if, if your legs are like that and say my boots are yeah, how do I how do I modify my boots to do that? Like, can you can well, you go beyond the current manufacturer kind of abilities? Yeah, that, yeah. We we um well, first of all, let me say this: 
just I I can only see you from about just a little bit below the blue line on your jersey, right? And I can also already tell. I'm just going to guess. You're probably about six six one. Yeah, tall. Pro- I have a longer torso than my lower yeah. body, which is another question okay. I'm going to ask you. But but I'm about five eleven, just under. Six okay, foot. so yeah. close six six yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm guessing you have some tibial verum, which means your tibias have curves in them. Correct. Like this. Yeah. And just because of the way your your shoulders are built and your neck and your 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 posture is very straight. Um, so I'm guessing, but I can. This is very. We've done over ten thousand measurements. Yeah. <laughs> of individual people with over forty different individual pieces that we measure in the foot and ankle and knee and so on up. So we have a lot of experience in seeing human body and anatomy, and so already because of what you said about your cuffs and where your legs were in them, I can see why you see you notice that very, very obviously, mm-hmm. um, and. The boots, some it depends on what company and it depends on how far up in their line you go. The further up, the mo- more boots have more canting adjustment, mm-hmm. uh, offset type screws, cams, or some have the cams that you pull out, like Fisher, yep. and you have to turn them around or you can put different colors in. Others have just a screw that is a concentric screw yep. that moves the whole cuff around. Yep. Head has a very good system that way. Yep. Some only, like Lang, only has the lateral side that is adjustable. Yep. <coughs> so we've gone into the retrofitting business. We actually have different ones made to fit into different boots where they don't don't provide, the company doesn't provide them. Yep. And Dalbello has been very good to us. Uh, they provided us with a lot of the rivet type screw uh, rivets that go in there for the, for the cam adjustment. That's that's what I've got and I'm maxed out. <laughs> yes. So how and we use head, <laughs> We use the head screws and we use the Delbello screws. Now, when you cannot go further than what those screws can do for you, the the concentric screws that are with the boot cuffs, you can drill a bigger hole and then if it's on the medial side, well, we're going to get technical here, but yeah. you can drill it lower because when you tip your ski on to the big toe side yeah. to make a turn on the outside, it doesn't matter if that slot is a little bigger. If you drill it lower and, and groove it out, it's going to go down, and that's what you want if you want it to move away. If you want it to move towards, you've got a little bit of, of a different issue. You you can move, you can drill the hole higher, move the, the concentric screw all the way so it goes the cuff goes up towards your leg, so and then put a rivet. The, the inside move it part out. of a yes. cuff. Yep. So say yep. the right right boot. The yep. inside ankle, you're going to move it up to get the cuff to tip out to yes. follow if you have, say, tibias or shins that curve, curve. outwards. Start like, outward, like yes. That's what I was describing, yeah. And then you can put a rivet in it to fix it, and that's very easy to do. Okay. And it also stiffens the boot, makes it it makes it more solid. Yeah. So these are uh, some areas that uh, are very... Uh, sort of new to people because even some of the major boot manufacturers and I won't name any but <laughs> they do a one fit system fits all uh, you know when they, you go to their race room 
they have a one way of doing it. And yeah. if you happen to have the legs that fit into that one way of doing it, you're okay. Perfect. But if yeah. you don't, you are in real serious trouble. Yeah. Just in one example, this year already, uh, Maria Brim, who is a World Cup winner, yeah. changed boot companies, and they gave her the one fit, one size, one size fits all thing. And she had a horrible first race, and now she broke her leg mm-hmm. within a very short period of time. I'm not going to blame it on the boot company, but I can say there's something suspicious about that when she's raced for numer- numerous years without any issues whatsoever. Yeah. 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 So I know personally at the World Cup level, even the boot techs at the World Cup level have not figured this out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They expect your, I can your anatomy cite, to kind of adapt inside this boot, which it, which it has to do, right? It's, it's kind of more adaptable than a plastic boot, whereas you really need to make the plastic boot fit where you stack up the best, right? And that's then from right. there, everything's and working from a centered position. And I can cite numerous examples of World Cup skiers who've been held back and had years of frustration due to their boot setup. And, and whether some of them evolved to figuring it out, it took a while, and others never got it fi- figured out, and they had to retire with some kind of disappointment. Mm-hmm. And and it's still going on now. I watched the World Cup right the first race, and already started to see some of these things. And that? I've had some di- <laughs> I've had some direct contact with the racers or their parents. Uh, World Cup winners had made some significant changes just over like what we're doing yeah. over the internet yeah. while yeah. they were in Europe. I can yes. imagine. I can imagine. So. Uh, did did you get to? Did you have a quick look at that video link I sent you? I wasn't able to see it. I, I haven't okay. been able to see it, and I rebooted my computer, and I haven't gotten back to it. I would really That's like right. to. I I, but, uh, I, I I would just. I mean, I can see it, but on my left, the start of my left foot turns, and through the end, you can just see. I have to be wor- I have to work my knee so much harder, and the tailor wash. I get sort of a bit of a down stem as a result, and you know I'm uh, I feel I'm pretty in tune with my body because that's part of what I do as a business now is is out of ski boot body alignment stuff, and you know I I can it's funny if I have my boots undone I ski better. If you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills, listen up. I've been working closely with the Carve team for over four years and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature, Active Coaching Mode. And here's the lowdown. Launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns, and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level. From there, every turn is a challenge, adapting on the fly to your skill, terrain, and conditions. No fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? 
So, because so the, let me let yeah. me ask you a couple of questions about this. Okay, so this is it might be interesting for skiers also because they may not have direct contact with me, but they can ask themselves these questions. Perfect. So, is your is your feeling at the top of the return when you set it up to be on angle, like say above the fall line, yeah. setting up the angles? Do you feel there that the ski is gripping or or too grippy and it wants to go straight or do you feel immediately that ski wants to flatten out and skid away from you more the latter i okay. uh, yeah and i can see it and i've all like i work on it with trying to just make a tipping even everting my foot trying to get it out there but it doesn't especially as i start to pick up speed in a shorter turn it it doesn't the top, that so, very top of the turn is, is, is like nothing's going on. So what's happening is basically you've got like the the cooking spoon in the big uh, pot. Yeah. So if, so if you have a, a circle like this, I don't know if you can see my hand like yeah. that, yeah. and you put a pencil in, or a pen in it, yeah. what's happening is your leg is doing this a exactly. long way before anything happens at the bottom. Yeah. So if this is the bottom of the ski – and you're, here's your ski boot. Yep. You're you're getting a lot of this without getting any of that. Yeah. The the leg moves, the ski doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I and now, I just couldn't figure out. Like I was like I've I've cuff aligned and everything and and now when I because like a, that test of standing in your ski boots, my shin just has so much space on that inner side that I can see now this cup, pen in a cup analogy. It's just the pen yep. is moving before it hits the edge of the cup. And the way to do that is uh, it's, it's a combina- it will be a combination of what's happening at the base, which is the angle down here. Yep. And, uh, you know, a wedge, a wedge in this direction may be part of the solution, more, more than what you have. Yeah. So, hot. so in other words, you fill in this space. So what it does when you stand on it, it actually is doing this to the ski, yep. like this. And also taking the cuff and, and modifying it so it comes closer. And, you know, with Riley, we have uh, evolved his boot setup. And, you know, he was already a, a pretty fantastic skier, as you know. Yeah. And we're just – he's evolving and, and we're helping him evolve it. So Because he's very sensitive about the way he feels on skis and boots. So I can just – talk to him over the internet or text him and yep. he can he experiment can it and, and, yes, and give you feedback. In the last, and last couple of years, you know, we've been doing that and it's great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's he's, awesome. He's a special kind of guy because he's very open and he experiment. He wants to experiment and he's been through the bad scenes. He's been through the bad footbeds. People have made him footbeds that didn't work and, and he's been through the bad alignment and he's, and, and he, he, he may, you know, even have tweaked his, his parts of his body the wrong way you know with injuries slight injuries due to bad uh, mm-hmm. equipment setup you know suggestions of equipment yeah 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 and it's more serious with a skier like him because he generates three to four times his body weight on a ski and in his body when he makes a curve at the angles that he creates so you're talking about a major amount of force going through the body and if it's misaligned you know, you've got meniscus and you've got tender mm-hmm. tissue in there that can be torn or, or, or d- disrupted. Absolutely. And you're, and then we're not even talking about our lower backs yet. And, yeah, you know, yeah. that's a real serious issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So misalignment can be damaging uh, long-term or even short-term. Mm-hmm. Short-term, 
if you're misaligned and you're going over rough terrain, that impact in your lower spine, it all goes up to your bo- your lower back. Absolutely. And it, it all ends up there. And it, it travels up your body. Those forces do if you're misaligned. And your body then, with muscular activity, tries to resist it yeah. and, and protect itself. But what you're doing then is you're being adaptive and you're tightening up and you're not getting the full benefit of the skiing experience. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it seems it was it was interesting. Riley was telling me about the whole, like the whole boot fitting process is is very detailed, isn't it? There's you you're, you're measuring everything: calcaneal angles, foot rotation, abduction, adduction, and tibial angles, femur angles, length of everything. And <laughs> and I, I love it. I think that's. I mean, like, why wouldn't you if you're going to lock someone in position? You need to lock them in the best position because that it comes back to your you know like damaging the body question yes. again like I, I know how very small differences and timings of of like getting the hip to flex you know a bit earlier so the knee doesn't have to flex as much and or the ankle so and those sorts of things can take knee pain either you know gone in a second or knee pain back in a second yes absolutely even uh, counteracting with your hip and so that the femur rotates slightly outward instead of mm-hmm. inward yep. to create angles can make because what you're doing then is you're either twisting the t- femur over the tibia or you're re- rotating the, the other way. So you're taking the stress out of all of the mechanism that's holding the knee in place. Yeah. Yep. The knee is not supposed to do this. It's yep. not built to do this kind of twisting action. Yep. And in skiing, if you ski incorrectly, you're putting a lot of twisting force into your turn if you're turning or making a ski turn incorrectly yeah absolutely and people don't realize it because maybe they're young enough or they haven't done it enough that any those uh, little pains and aches haven't shown up yet that could turn into long-term disability so uh how what what was your kind of like discovery or road along this like was it through like you know back in a certain period it's like oh shit you know like i'd my, I can't ski. I've got this new boot from you know whoever it is, and they say it's the best new one. But I just can't do it. Like, is it through that, or was it with their boot fitting mentors? Is it like you know, like what what was it that got you really that detailed and in depth into like the boot fit? There were a couple of stages that happened um, as I was uh, uh, coaching. One was my own experience. I went from a. Uh, a boot that was great for me uh, you know I raced on it and did very well and I went to uh, a, a, I'll just mention the, the brand it was a Lang we sell Langs we love Lang boots if they're set up right but it was too strong a uh, boot setup for me the cuffs were too far out mm-hmm. and I was forcing had to force the cuffs and the boot over and I had to use and, and when I got it over it was so strong that the ski would go straight and I had to twist and use more upper body to get it around the corner and i skied like that for a couple of weeks and i finally said no this is not working at all went back to my old boots and i was like at home so then then i went and looked at the boots put them side by side and i could see the angles of the of the lengths the blue lengths were going like this and my other boots were like more much straighter so i just took them to the grinder yeah and i started (laughs) grinding away on, on and made them level immediately I could ski again. It, yeah. it just it was like night and day. It was just so obvious. Yeah. And then the same period I had a skier who and I do do the dry land uh, training and physical training with my athletes too. So I have 
quite a bit of background in, in training the, the you know just developing their their bodies and mm-hmm. and, and grading them in shape so I had the skier who was just a phenomenal athlete uh, in every test that we did and all of the training he was a number one or two but when it came to skiing even his brother who was not as good physically was beating him and right. you could see it you could see it on the snow on a, on a steeper hill whenever it got icy started to turn beautifully and right at the highest point of load right after the apex when you come across the fall line his ski would flatten out and kind of drift and and, and it would slide and then he'd have to hit it again and try to grab you do that once or twice every turn you're just out of it yeah so i i did it i knew about canting and i did the canting ride yeah but he still had the issue so then i went it's got to be in the foot because i i always was a foot skier and my father was you know was very strong thinking about it skiing is about your feet and tipping your feet over and that's how you get your ski on edge so i knew in my own skiing i had to you know, evert my foot or, or tip it, yeah. put pressure on the big toe side, put the ankle bone into the boot mm-hmm. to lay the boot over, get an edge, and hold the edge. So I said, there's something going on inside that kid's ski boot. So I said, we've got to, and his father was a doctor. Yeah. And that kind of helped us along the process. We said, well, we've got to take him to a podiatrist and see what's going on. And then immediately we saw a change when he got foot bets. He was able to hold that edge. Now, with can, the, I, can I guess? I'm going to guess. It's a line of force. Can, can I guess? Uh, was it in the forefoot? Well, he had a forefoot varus going on. Yeah. And he, he also had pronation, so his arch would collapse when so the pressure so came on. Calcaneous yep. eversion, forefoot varus. Yep. So if, and even midfoot, even midfoot eversion. Just, just, okay, wow, like yeah. really loose. So if, if, if listeners want to like maybe pick up one of their shoes – and they're maybe holding it in front of their face, the heel at their nose and the toe, the, the toe box at, away from their face. If they held the heel of, of a right shoe and twisted it out as though they were turning the heel to, say, towards uh, 4 o'clock, and then they took the toe box and tipped it up, so it was rotating, the front of the, the shoe was rotating up towards 10, that's what this kid's foot was kind of stuck in, isn't it? His his foot was basically. Can you see my shoe? Yeah. Okay, it's slipper. So his forefoot was like this. Yeah. So this was not touching the ground. See so that? Harold's so this was high because because it's, yeah. it's an audio thing. They won't be able to see. But Harold's lifting the big toe side only of the front of his slipper up. So his, his so big that's toe not would, touching. Exactly. It's not touching the floor. And yeah. so when he has to push his toe down, his first toe or first ray or first methead, yeah. down the big toe basically, it the kinetic chain starts to react, yeah. and the knee goes in, but the tail of ski washes out. Yeah. And and then his hind foot and his midfoot would also kind of collapse, and so now th- this is one scenario for somebody but you can't make that footbed so supportive so that the arch blocks the foot from making the movement of eversion you still need eversion in your skiing absolutely and that's the magic of a footbed where uh, you have to be very discerning who you go to to make a footbed mm-hmm. you will find that some podiatrists and some boot footbed makers will make that arch so rigid that it actually locks up the foot so you haven't gained anything. You've actually kind of regressed. Yep. 
And there's that's the real secret in making a footbed. You have to make it pliable enough so that the foot can move, but not so unsupportive so it collapses or too rigid so it doesn't move at all. And yeah. and uh, it's a real science to be able to build footbeds correctly that way. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and a lot of like, because I know Riley was saying, you'll do something and then you'll go out and you will run through a series of tests to see if it's worked because... I guess there's, you know, there's so, as you said, in the kinetic chain, there are so many things and you changing at the bottom, you don't know the effect it's having up, up high. So you need to test it, right? You need to see how that person feels with it. We have the luxury and we're the only ones in the world that have skied with over 90% of the people that we've done alignment for, mm. which is Maybe. a huge database of, of results. And we can quantify the results. And that's unheard of in the ski industry. Nobody has done this kind of work before. We've got so much documentation. We've got so much information. And the strange thing is, no one in the ski industry has come to us and said, what can we do with all this great scientific information you have and make it better for skiers? Mm-hmm. You know, not one boot company, not one ski shop in the uh, chain, not one ski area or ski school has said they're not interested enough to say, Wow, that's a wealth of information. We should be in the medical field. You would have people all over you yep. trying to figure out, wow, this is great information. We can help people with this information. But in the yeah. ski industry, it's, it's about getting the boots out the door in the shortest period of time and selling as many as you can. It's volume. Yep. You know, stay alive. You know, to some extent, I, I sympathize with that because the ski shops have to survive and they have to do volume. Mm-hmm. We don't do volume. We do fixing <laughs> yeah yeah we, you know that's the difference yeah 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 amazing i i wish <laughs> i could teleport over there right now get you to fix my boots go asking because <laughs> i can already tell in my head i'm just picturing what it'd feel like and and i know i like the the first thing that comes to mind is i just feel in my shorter turns i'll be able to get my hip further in and my knee less far in and just feel stronger just well let's let's do this if you will send me some photos of you standing in your boots with with just your footbeds without liners mm-hmm. you know in your ski stance from the front and then show me the side of your boots so i can see the mechanism a little bit yep and then and then i'll look at the video of you skiing yep and then you you can tell me how much bottom canting if you've done any of bottom you know boot canting yep. and we can evolve the process and maybe do another then you can show the before and after and exactly. describe to people where you've where you've gone. Yeah, exactly. That'll that that's that's what we'll do. I, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping to get skiing in Canada in the end of the end of January, but that'll give me some time to work on it. And I mean, I'm almost thinking of really starting again. I mean, I'm lucky. I with Riley, we work with Dalbello and Vocal, so I you know can get another pair of boots. And maybe just so this would be scratch. for your alpine equipment. <laughs> this would yeah. be on yeah. alpine equipment. Yeah. You're talking, yeah. Exactly. Okay, great. That's yeah. really. Yeah. We can do both. We could do, you know, telly or alpine. But um, yeah, yeah. I but think if the, you, the telly one would be interesting. I, I don't feel as out on my telly boots. The scarpa boots seem to fit my leg a little better, make it a little mm-hmm. bit easier. Um, but yeah, definitely the alpines where I like to like to begin anyway getting off track getting a bit uh uh myself selfish here um 
Let's see. Okay, actually, so I wanted to ask you about this idea. People don't take into account like tibial length, femur length, and then, you know, torso. Right. How can that, if you're sort of, you know, keeping in mind that it's a, we're talking so people won't be able to see, how could you explain how those things can really affect someone? Well, the simplest way to explain it is if you're if you want to test yourself, for instance, and there is a sort of a predetermined overall body stature that would uh, put you in one area. The the six foot or taller individual who would stand just flat on the floor and just bend their knees a little bit and see what happens to where their hips are if their femur proportion is longer relative to their tibial length. It puts your hips farther behind your heels, Mm -hmm. which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a long femur and you bend your legs, your hips are going to be further back. Yep. We, we, it just, it was very interesting the other day. We were on the slope and doing some of this work and, uh, excuse me, I'm going to turn this off real quick. We were doing some of this work and we saw two tall guys that fit exactly that syndrome. They were 6'1", 6'2", and they were both skiing down in the back seat like crazy and they're all on, on advanced equipment, you know, race boots and race gear. And they could not get out of the back seat. Yeah. They were in the back seat. Their hips were back. They were never. They never were able to move their feet underneath them and get their hips ahead of their boots and their turns. Yeah. And they were losing control and getting more and more speed all the way down where it got steeper. And I and I would say to the group, I said, "You see that? That is your typical scenario of the femur length dominating your foreaft position." Mm-hmm. And so we have a solution. We have solutions for that. Uh, and we've worked with people with that scenario, and we fixed as best we could, and the people are standing much more in the center of their skis. So we have started years ago measuring femur, tibia, hip, uh, torso, uh, you know, sternum, yep. and overall length. Yeah. And and we modified boots uh, with the same people to see what results we got. Yep. And we modified skis. We we have actual we actually have skis in our inventory that have lifts on the, on the heels and lifts on the front. And so we can take people out and we've experimented over years and uh, put them on the, the toe lift skis and we put them on the heel lift skis and we watch them ski and get their feedback and videoed. And so we have an inventory sort of of what the results are based on bo- different bodies, different skis. Mm-hmm. Di- but the permutations that you can get at with 4F are way more complicated than side <laughs> to side. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's just side, way more side, movement, right? Yeah, so there's you, so much more, so many more places your body can adapt. Adapt, yeah, yeah. So, and then everything changes from one year to the next. The boot companies change, and the binding companies change their ramp angles from the heel, the delta from the heel to the toe. So you've got constantly evolving things that you have to take into consideration. And different models of bindings have different ramp angle. A race ramp angle, a binding will not have the same ramp angle as a recreational ski binding. So it is very intricate to get involved with 4F balance. Mm -hmm. And you have to do it on a one-on-one basis. And, you know, in skiing, we love to have these catch-all things where where we will catch one problem. We see the backseat problem and everybody will say, you've got to make the boots softer. 
Yeah. And that's not the answer. It's yeah. not the answer. That's that's the throw, you know, the, throw the bucket out with the bathwater yeah. or whatever it is. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. That's not an answer for that problem. The, yeah. the, the, the answer is diagnose it for the individual with his limb length, the way he stands, what kind of boot equipment he's on, what kind of ramp angle he's on, and figure it all out and then make the changes and see results. Yeah. You can't just do a, a widespread yeah. shotgun approach to these things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then can you also go the other way with the femur length, tibia length? Can the femur be kind of proportionately kind of shorter yeah. and the person's yeah. constantly over-flexed? Yeah. yeah. And, and you'll out. see that the other additional factor there is sometimes people have a lower calf or a big calf, shorter yeah. people do. And when they have that shorter femur and longer tibia, it's great to be forward, but you're sometimes over forward, yeah. too far forward, over flex, so to speak, and you're in a low hip position, which is really hard on the quads. Yeah. And, and it's tiring. And, uh, you, you do get some benefits in skiing that way. You get a lot of rotation from the legs because they're flexed. And the more flexed you are, the further your femurs and legs can go back and forth. So yep. you have more range of motion. Yep. But on the other hand, it's tiring, and uh, you don't want to be down there all the time. Yeah. You never get a straight leg you know, to yeah, rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely, we can do the opposite with, with that kind of a skier. Then yeah. we do. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. I need to be measured up to <laughs> see what see what comes out, what the what the measurements spit out. Um, so, Harold, what what are you like specifically? Like, do you do much to your own boots and equipment? Um, well, I have a when but when I was ski racing, I didn't do anything. I just used whatever boots. Uh, uh, you know, my sponsor was providing at that time, and and I switched uh, boot companies once while I was competing, and uh, my Lang boots worked very well for me as a racer. Mm -hmm. uh, the leather boots, I was in that era when that switched from leather to plastic. Just that uh, I was in that age, so I went through that process of going from leather, hard leather, you know, fiberglass reinforced leather, the Le Trapper French boot that was out at that time, and then went into plastic, into a, uh, I went into a Lang, and that was very good for me. I didn't have a difficulty switching. My legs are neutral enough, so I could switch without problems. Mm -hmm. I know world-class ski racers who couldn't ski on plastic boots. Right. I just switched and it just totally mucked them up. It, right it mucked them up to the point where they were, they used to be top five World Cup skiers, and they couldn't make the top 30. Yeah, wow. Could, couldn't break into the top 30. Just equipment. The, the boot was so strong and too responsive that it just made their skis go straight all the time, every time they yeah. put them on edge. So they had to learn how to f twist the skis yeah. and feather them, and then, and then you, go, you can't get any speed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay. and uh, I have talked to some of, of the of the particular a Swiss racer that I knew when I was racing, and he was he went through that, and I met him years later, 20 or 30 years later, and and we re, you know we were kind of reminiscing about our racing career, and I, I mentioned to him, you know I know why what happened to you, and he said what do you mean you know what happened to me? Well why you had to retire and you didn't get results? I told him about his boot scenario and his, his he was so bow legged that he couldn't yeah. get and the and the plastic boots in the leather boots you could do with your ankles and you could play around sure. with a with a higher cuff stiffer cuff you could not make those adjustments yeah. your leg dictated your alignment yep. at that point yeah so you were really hampered restricted and blocked up 
Yeah. So yeah, it, it 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 was in some ways that transition I went through was I was very happy with the transition. It helped me because you um, you're kind of in the middle of like, like yeah 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 and, and your 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 feet are you pretty neutral? Yeah. Well, I have what they call a functional flat foot, so I don't need a footbed, which yeah. is kind of ironic because I'm a big proponent of good footbeds. Yeah. But yeah. I only use a very very rudimentary just a mold that has no even a flat spot on it because my foot just sits so well yeah on the floor that's that's interesting because i went through a stage um i had uh foam injected liners and like quite a firm footbed and then just through getting into uh now rolfing and and this sort of movement alignment stuff that i'm into now decided i wanted to get rid of all that and uh, now I don't ski with a footbed. O'Reilly's made me a very minimal footbed that, if anything, just gives me like a good grip, so my foot's yes. not sliding around. Yeah, um, it's a we call it a comfort footbed. It's just yeah. it just contours the bottom. Yeah, exactly, and that and that feels good because I with with the one that's supported under the arch, I couldn't. Yeah, my I, it was like you're talking about. I was locked in that yeah. part of my foot, and I had to over move in. In other areas, so that's really interesting that you also don't ski with a footbed. And well, I had uh, a bad experience as a six-year-old. My, you know, in those days, podiatrists used to say if you had flat feet, you were going to have sort of bad feet for the rest of your life, and you wouldn't yeah. be able to run, and you're going to have all kinds of issues. And so they built me these special shoes with arches. And I, I walked one day on those shoes, and my feet hurt so much I never put them back on again. Yeah. <laughs> and so I already knew at six years old. And that you put like a golf ball underneath your arch was not going to work very yeah. well for my foot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect, perfect. Um, now, what was the next thing I was going to say? So, you don't have many modifications to your boots. You sit pretty well in it. Um, now that I have a knee replacement uh, on my right leg, which eroded away with arthritis over thirty-seven years, uh, it went two degrees bad on the on the medial side. Yeah. Uh, they corrected all that with the knee replacement. I don't do anything on my right leg; it is dead straight, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. no plates, nothing, no adjustments. My no left, I tip- fore aft stuff. Do you do anything like you're pretty bang on, like your tibia femur and all that sort of length? I've been really fortunate. If anything, in my ski career, I was a little forward, more forward than most guys. And so I was lucky to be able to to, to be forward. Uh, And I had to learn how to back off rather than be too forward. Okay. Because I I got too much tip pressure. So I was always the one who was having to get on the heels a little bit and let the skis run out instead of the other way around where guys had to get forward. A random question then just then Bodie Miller came to mind you know like mm-hmm. what what sort of things can you tell tell us about looking at him his body shape boot set up you know that that made him want to use the tail a lot more or is that something else or no Bodie uh, I coached Bodie's uncle um, when he was a teenager mm-hmm. and uh, so I know the the family and Bodie has long femurs, mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he grew very quickly from the age of 19 to 23. He grew a couple of inches. And when he was 18, 19 and 20, he, he, he was a very good slalom skier at that time. In slalom, he was one of the top, he was a, he won a slalom, he was won, you know, every event. So he's won slalom on, when he was on Fishers. And, um, 
he was on a Nordica boot at that time, and he, he did extremely well, and he was centered on his skis at that time. He wasn't that extreme way back. That evolved as he grew. Okay. And his femurs and his bones uh, solidified more. And and, uh, and the muscles grew and yeah. in his, obviously around his rear end bigger. And so there's more weight back there. And, and, he, and he stands very upright, obviously. And you yeah. can see that. And But the, the amazing thing about Bodhi, first of all, you have to keep in, in mind that Bodhi is, is probably one of the best athletes we've ever seen on a pair of skis. Because he, he can be... He's a, he could have been a top athlete in almost any sport he decided um, to be in. He won the superstars thing, you know, where all the top athletes compete at different events that they okay. don't normally do. Yeah. He won the overall superstars thing wow. against football players, against tennis players, you name it, every sport. And wow. he was the overall champion on that. So wow. that tells you what kind of back an athlete, athlete he is. Yeah. So he's an extremely strong guy. He he uh, has amazing balance, and uh, he was able to figure out how to make help he, help head develop skis for him and boots that supported that stance so that he could be on the tail without overbending. There's a funny story about Bodie testing slalom skis from head in summer. They had 18 pairs of skis lined up at the base of the area, and skis to the other to go up the lift. And he he put on in one one instance he put on a pair of skis he skated to the lift just skated without skiing without even getting on the lift yeah. got to the lift said to the rep these skis suck <laughs> walked back and got another pair he didn't even have to go down the mountain on them he could tell they were too soft just by skating yeah wow wow <laughs> so Very so you know insane. that's yeah 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 okay so then any other like watching this last Solden race any other things you kind of saw i guess okay here's here's the question i was thinking of when can you see when do you know it's more of an equipment issue compared to a technical issue like like the racer or the skier just doesn't know how to perform the movement versus it's their equipment that is blocking that movement right have you like i mean i guess it takes a lot of experience and and seeing and stuff but are there things you look for absolutely yeah um i study it all the time i watch slow motion i do all of that um and the most glaring thing at silden because you mentioned that particular race was christopherson who was in eighth place about two and a half seconds out which is a long ways for him yeah and the Rossi boot has been beefed up and made stronger from last year's model, and he could not get that ski over on the angles that he's used to getting him over on. Mm-hmm. So he was fighting the equipment. There's a perfect example, like what you your question. There's the answer right there. Yeah. There's a perfect. Here's a world class skier who was not able to deal with the equipment in yeah. that particular race right away off first race. And you know the, I can tell you another story that happened with Michaela Schifrin who is obviously Olympic champion, world champion, you know, yeah. globe winner in slalom. Two years ago when she started the season, she was in the new uh, atomic boot with the carbon fiber top, the black top mm-hmm. boot. Yeah. And I hadn't seen her ski all summer or fall, but I watched her, one of her, one run on a slalom at the beginning of the season. And she was not finishing in the top five. She was in the seventh and eighth place down, you know, two, three seconds down. 
at least two seconds out of the first place. And I watched that run and I said, this is impossible. That's not her skiing. Hmm. It, it was just, she was so out of sorts, so off her game, so off her skis, so out of balance. I immediately texted her mother <laughs> and I said, Eileen, you have got to put her on her last year's boots immediately. And her mother responded and said, yes, I trust what you have to say. We're going to put her on her old boots. The next slalom race, the net difference in time was three seconds and she won it. And there was no training in between. There was no coaching in between. That was just a boot change. Yep. So even at the world, as I said earlier, at the world class level, the reps don't know. They don't see it. And the coaches think the reps know everything, yes, and they, they don't get it. involved in the boot setup. So yeah. there's a disconnect. Yeah. And she, she was third in the next GS, you know, on the, on the old boots, and she wasn't even close before that. Yeah. And yeah. this, and you know, she was in the wrong boot all summer training and all fall. So you can you can imagine what a waste of time that was for an athlete at the world class level. To be in a boot that wasn't she was actually struggling with. Yeah, yeah, wow. So that's an instant switch from one day to the next, just changing the boot. Yeah, same in, brand. Yeah, and in that boot, would, other, would the main characteristic changes be a stiffness thing, a cuff alignment thing? A, yeah, a stiffness. Yeah, it was thing? mostly a cuff. It was okay. mostly started at the cuff. Okay, and then I don't know if they tried to fix it by doing anything underneath it. Okay. But I know the cuff was too strong. She couldn't get the boot over and her leg over and the angle yeah. of the ski over. Yeah, yeah. And mm. that, that puts you in the back seat because every yeah. time you put the ski on edge, it shoots out shoots. in front of you. Yeah, and there you And are so now behind. you're in the back seat. So she's totally out of balance. She's yeah. never in the center of the ski. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that was just another experience I had with a top elite racer, you know, that just confirms what we see on snow every day with regular skiers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then on the other end, not an equipment thing, I guess you'd see the technical element as perhaps not being at that top end, more your kind of, you know, like skier that, you know, does like three or four weeks a year or or even just hasn't quite reached a level of really, you know, knowing how their body moves. Would that be right? Well, you see more like, you know, say their boots are set up all, all right, you know, like when when can you what are some things main things you i guess look for technically you know like it's kind of like okay this has got to be they got to be ticking this box like you know whatever it is what are your kind of top three things you're looking technically at that the person is performing with their their movements we get skiers i mean almost every skier we get who is new in our program is taught by traditional teaching system methods, right? And if you've if you're a skier and you're watching this, you know that you were taught to turn the outside ski mm-hmm. and then try to catch up with the inside ski to make it parallel. And that was, you know, from the snowplow on, basically snowplow turn on. That's what you were trying to do. The problem with that whole idea is that if you're trying to get your new outside ski or stance ski or or balancing foot on edge to get into the turn before you do anything with the inside foot the inside foot is always going to be delayed or behind and catch trying to catch it up and that's why people they always say one of the biggest concerns skiers have is i cross my tips Mm. well think about it 
if you're turning the outside ski and the inside one hasn't caught up, the outside ski is going to cross under yep. the inside ski as you go down. The, and that's, that didn't get better with shape skis. It got worse yeah. <laughs> because the shape ski is more reactive, right? Yeah, yeah. So now, so one of the first things we teach and see is we teach skiers how to get the other ski on edge so it gets out of the way and goes downhill first. Then the big toe edge ski or the outside ski can go and look and be parallel with the other one. Mm-hmm. And we do that right from the beginning as soon as we see people. Yep. And so that's, when you that's see kind of like number one. Number one. Yeah. Number one, yeah. And then number two is because they were putting that outside ski on edge and then it was kind of locking into an edge they'd have to drive their knee and, and the upper body would follow it so that you could create a rotational uh, impact, uh, which is called an angular momentum type yeah, impact which on the ski. Which keep going that way. Yes. Yeah. Then, and they didn't know how to stop it because yeah. they were never taught to use it properly. Once it started, it's very hard to reverse it. Mm-hmm. So that's the next thing we deal with. Yeah. So, And sometimes if someone has got a real upper body thrust so to speak to get the skis around we deal with that first because sure. you can't really use the feet and the legs and the tipping actions if yeah. your upper body is the most powerful unit in right. your skiing yeah. yeah absolutely so we go it can go either way depending on how aggressive that skier is with the upper body versus yeah. lower body love it love it yeah it's just kind of like when i look at people people's movement a lot of the time where the problem is it's moving too much and other areas are under moving so if you work on yeah. the bits that are under moving and forget about the other stuff and let it it kind of all balances out a little bit more and so, yeah at some yeah. point you have to address the the bit major or the bigger body parts because they overpower the smaller ones yep yep so then would there be after that would you any other thing like is there a third thing you kind of look at or well depends? during this whole process we teach them to balance uh, on all four edges we're really big on you in skiing you have to be able to ski on all four edges mm-hmm. even an intermediate skier learns how to ski on all four edges in our system yeah. and when you learn to ski on all four edges you're familiar with the, what the skis can do yeah. and, and most skiers have no idea how to use the outside edges on their skis mm-hmm. they never use them and we teach people how to transfer to the uphill little toe or yeah. the, the one that's on the outside before you start into the new turn yeah yeah Absolutely. And so that what that does and, and what people, you know, will go, well, why do I need to do that? That sounds like it's a precarious balancing point. What that does is once you learn how to do it properly and, and put your hip in the right place so you can balance there, you start every turn in balance before you even go into the turn. On the new ski that you're about to stand on through the whole turn, <laughs> whether whereas every other system – that teaches skiing, national systems, move the base of support away, and then they try to catch the body up to that base of support because you through the steering action of the outside ski. Yeah. And we put the base, we put the body over the base of support before you enter that turn. So you're not fighting for balance the rest of the turn around to try to catch up to that ski, which you never were in balance with to begin with. Yeah. So it, our system is completely opposite, almost in every way you want to break down the steps. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's opposite in an advantageous way, not in a, you know, yeah, detrimental way. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Gary Ward, he uh, he's got a system called Anatomy in Motion, and he's um, he used to be a boot fitter, 
and finally similar kind of story to you he'd he'd be fitting boots all season and someone had come back in after he's corrected some stuff and there's like what did, what did you do i my back pain's gone i've had the best holiday it's it's easy and so led him to going and going outside of that and developing a system of movement of looking at like if the foot's doing this what's the knee doing what's the hip blah blah, blah all the way up um anyway uh so he's kind of mapped out what he calls the flow motion model which is basically what every joint in the body is doing at different phases of the gait cycle so heel strike foot flat you know mm-hmm. early toe off, early heel off toe off that sort of stuff um Anyway, I've become really interested in that and very much thought about phases of skiing kind of in relation to gait and what you're talking about there of transferring to the little toe edge early is just like when you walk as your foot swings through and you place the heel down, you keep moving the foot forward, you leave it there and you bring the center of mass starts shifting forward over the top, meet the foot starts to come down more with the fifth metatarsal and then you find your whole foot and then from there you put your balance on it and then you start shifting forward again towards the other foot and it's just exactly the same thing it's how our body's kind of built to move and and how we proprioceptively wired we want that that sensation first before we kind of you know, if you try and well, walk around standing, go straight to the inside part of your foot, you you're off balance. It's it's all really boils down to a very simple uh, aspect of confidence. When when you're in balance, you're confident. You're more you're more willing to do more things, move move better, and and you have you have a, a well being about you when you go down the hill in skiing, and and you start to take uh, you start to be able to ski faster without getting scared because you're in control when you're in balance and and that's what we're really after the bottom line is it's all about balancing on your skis and and that's that's the the, everything that we do uh is is based on the understanding of balance and building better balance for skiers in movements and in equipment and uh, you know our background when we evolved this we you know a lot of these ideas came out of my teaching and my coaching and my own skiing but we didn't just rely on that we we went to to research it we went to study it we went to phds and numbers of fields who were skiers and brought them in and worked with us uh we have a phd in in uh, biomechanics that works with us who's an instructor mm-hmm. we have we have two physiotherapists one is a doctor has a doctorate in physiotherapy so the study of the human anatomy in movement, we've we've approached it from a number of different areas. So it's not just the skiing side that we've studied. We've studied it from the the, the functional side and many other ways of looking at how the body works. Yep, so important, so so important. Um, so uh, another kind of personal thing. What are you what are you working on and playing? within your skiing like what are you excited to get out and be like right i'm really gonna nail this this year or i'm gonna really refine this movement or like what where what are you playing with uh in my own skiing i'm always trying to get more angles and more energy out of the ski uh and that that's about to me uh, skiing is a sport of relaxation it's not a sport of force and when you look at skiing from a standpoint of relaxation, 
I can describe where all the relaxation points happen in a turn or in a ski while you're skiing. When you release a ski at the end of the turn, you're flexing or letting go of the tension in your legs. That's relaxing. Mm -hmm. When that happens, the forces from the turn and gravity can pull you over to the other side and you relax the body so you can tip your torso in the other direction so you can counterbalance for the new turn. That's, that has to happen through relaxation. Through mm -hmm. If you force it, it won't happen. Yeah. So I'm, and then when you start into the turn, you have to bend the inside leg so it doesn't support your body weight in any way or else you can't build angles because if, the, if there's weight on that foot, you can't get your hip down lower. Exactly, yeah. So you've got to bring that leg up. You've got to bend that knee. You've got to relax the hip so it can kind of fall or yeah. settle down closer to the ground. And all you're doing on the other leg is it. You, you're not trying to push on the other leg. You're actually letting the other leg stretch out and stay on the ground without – overbearing it or, or, or over digging the ski into the snow because you don't need to dig the ski into the snow until you go back across the falling because there are no forces. The forces are minimal. They're just yeah. centripetal, centripetal and some momentum pulling you to the outside. Yeah. So really people, when you watch skiers, they're trying to dig the edges in too early and not develop angles. If you, if you relax and develop angles, then you'll have the angles you need to deal with the forces later on in the turn. Yeah. So the upper third of the turn and half should be developing the angle side, not the digging in or the holding. The holding of the edges and the, and the, and the bending of the ski that we talk about to get energy out of the ski to use the product, that happens from about halfway down through the bottom of the turn. So it is a relaxing sport. And if you think about it and you approach it that way, you're going to have much better results, mm -hmm. and, and you're not going to get as fatigued. Your inside leg doesn't have a huge muscle contraction when it's bending, so yeah. you get new blood flow to that leg while the other one is more tight, yeah. more contracted. Yeah. So it, it gets restricted from blood flow. Yeah. And then when you switch legs, it, it's the opposite, so you get new oxygenation to the muscles that uh, you're not using as, as uh, extremely, you know, on the outside leg. So if you do ski that way, and, and, you can, and that's what we teach, you, you can ski all day and ski longer, it's longer runs without your legs burning on you yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, yeah, it's so funny because eh? I totally agree with that. I really have enjoyed the last sort of few years finding skiing is, is far more therapeutic and really like I feel better after a day of skiing because my whole body's just moved and joints and muscles have gone through their ranges of motion and and I'm yeah just with that idea of what can I do less how can I do less to get more like how can I yes. let those joints just really just easily go through their ranges and 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 do less it's like yoga on on skis you know like you could you could totally just do skiing and you'd be a very healthy happy person if you do it right we find that we detune the size of movements more than we add size mm -hmm. of movements to most skiers that we teach yeah yeah very interesting yeah yeah because they're inefficient. The big movements are, are inefficient, and they throw you further out of balance. And another really, one of, you know, you asked me earlier, what are the key things we focus on? One of the key things, one of the major things that is in almost every skier on the hill is they are extending their legs in the, at the wrong part of the turn. 
But when you extend your legs at the wrong part of the turn, you're actually pushing your center of mass out of balance. Mm-hmm. And most people don't realize that they're actually making themselves go out of balance with the movements they're using. Mm-hmm. So what, when, but when you do that time and time again, and you're used to using it, you don't, you don't sense realize. that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. And then when we try to change it and say, no, you're going to keep your balance over your ski and over your foot and over your leg and not push yourself away from that. It's a complete reversal. You know, yeah. we're talking training the brain as yeah. well as training the body, yeah. um, and and, and the, the understanding and the grasping of the concepts and the movements yeah. uh, is all part of it. It's funny. I, I don't know if you'd agree, but it's almost you know when you introduce something that's so foreign to a person that they've their beliefs are that this is the way it's done, and because I've read it in a manual and the, all these people that I've seen you know ski really well tell me this is the way. And you tell them to just try, just see what happens when you do it a different way. The way I'm suggesting it's, it is actually more the psychological, like the mental part that is the harder part to come over, isn't it? Because it goes against what they believe and there's a lot of, you know, a lot behind that. And you're challenging not just, you know, use these joints differently. You're challenging what they've learned and time spent, money spent, invested in whatever they're doing. And so... It requires people to really let go and just just see what you know for themselves. What happens if I really just try it? <laughs> well, we're we're really fortunate because our client, uh, the skiers that come to us, are highly motivated individuals. Mm-hmm. They're ready to learn. They want to learn, and they are motivated. And so, we have the best job in the world because. We have pre-selected people, and and they and they're fun to work with because they're so motivated and want to learn that it's it's just a, 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 a kind of a sweeping enthusiasm that goes yeah. on from yeah, from yeah. one session to the other. They're ready. They they are ready yeah. when they paid for the course. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's totally. That's the same for the people that have the best success with me getting out of pain. They're already ready to just forget whatever Dude, they've done they're ready do to let yeah. go yeah 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 they're ready to let go so um i guess we're just <laughs> so thanks very much for uh taking the time here is there any other things you wanted to to mention or talk about i guess if people are interested you know where can they go to find out some more info about maybe a boot fitting course or a, or the pmts course um do you want to just, just let us know how people can do that yeah, um, we we have uh, our own website, which is harpskisystems.com, and most of the information is there about what we do, our camps, um, alignment uh, sessions. Also, I on YouTube have, and Diana, my partner, uh, ha- we have over 50 videos, instructional videos, for free that we give out more free content than any other ski system in the world and it's all uh, very in order and it's easy to follow and it it, it t- takes a, a beginner progression all the way to the advanced skier and then on our forum I have a, we have a forum a PMTS forum that can be looked up on Google and we also have a, I have a blog so there's just endless amounts of information that we put out for free to, to the public to skiers so they can see and, and start to learn on their own and we have right. uh, I've published four books on skiing and we have DVDs that go with the books 
We also have downloadable instruction material off our website. So if you're living in Australia and you can't come <laughs> to our camp right away, you can get the instruction from our website. Yeah, that goes for anywhere because you'd be surprised. Most most of my listeners are actually from the States or Europe. So Oh, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, we, it was interesting. We had seven people at our last uh, alignment training session. Two were from Australia. One was from Taiwan. And uh, the others were from the U.S. And we got people from all over the world coming to our camps. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal. It's great to see. Um, we're, we're very happy to have, you know, all the real distant people come to enjoy skiing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. So have you got many camps coming up now, like the next? Yeah, the week after this, we have the tech camp, which yeah. is an instructor kind of very focused camp. Then there's another one before Christmas, which is a blue camp. Yep. And then we go through the vacation period without camps until uh, January 7th. Okay. And then we start right in. We have 10 camps scheduled for the season two in Austria. And then we'll be in New Zealand uh, end of August uh, into September for yeah. our two camps. Well, I can tell you now I'm going to look and see how I can get over and do your boot fitting course. I'm really, really interested in, in that and... You know, I'm definitely one person that would love to find out more of like this info you've, you know, the thousands of people you've measured just to find out more, you know, like the data you've gathered on people with these types, you know, these lengths of femurs uh, equal this kind of thing. These people with lots of, you know, movement in their ankle tend to exhibit these, you know, all that sort of info. That's, that's so valuable. That's awesome and can only... Along those lines, here's one thing that most people and doctors, physios, or even orthopods have no idea that this actually occurs in humans. We're the ones who figured this out. We didn't figure it out. We just came upon it because mm -hmm. we just it repeated itself so often. In humans, more than 85% of humans have a more valgus right leg than left leg. And if you want to check it on your own body, you can see if you go along with the 80 to 90 percent of all humans. That means they're more pronated on their foot, they're more everted on their calcaneus, and they're more uh, their knee is more in valgus when they flex forward on the right than on the left. And on the left, the foot is more inverted, which means the arch is higher, mm -hmm. the calcaneus or the heel bone is tipped outward, and the knee tracks more outwardly. And even men and women, regardless, it's that is a huge percentage that is biased in that direction. Yep. Yeah, and so for people, uh, valgus is when their knee goes tips inwards. Right. So people, people can when they can test that. Uh, I, I'm part of that 85. percent Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. That's cool. That's fantastic. Well, again, thanks very much uh, for your time. Uh, hang on the line. I'm just gonna. Uh, stop the recording but yeah thanks very much again Harold and I hope everyone really enjoys it I mean this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations for me because I got to be a bit selfish and really asking <laughs> questions permanent, pertinent to me so yeah thanks very much well we'll, we'll carry on with that and uh, it was my pleasure I really enjoyed it so excellent excellent thank you we'll continue on I hope that's it some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now and this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, 
early weight transfer and one that measures the g-force in a turn and that one i have to say i got to try it out this winter in australia and that is really fun this new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch now what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski iq score This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks. 